0: Hello and welcome to how to stay married Doc dot dot so far lovely to have you here with us if you're on our YouTube channel hit the subscribe button and the notification bell if you're listening to us on any of the podcast platforms hello and you can see us if you want over on our YouTube channel uh, the Sawala Adelies um, it's funny actually, I just realised, what did we do last night all of last night
1: are we allowed to talk about that
0: Mark,
1: (laughs) we didn't do that. What what do you mean? What did we do last night? We
0: were watching couples counselling. I've just realised. Maybe that's why I woke up this morning and said. I think we should do a how to stay married.
1: Yes, maybe. Yeah, it's a good show, isn't it?
0: It's so good. Honestly, we really do recommend it. Mm. If you're here listening on listening to a podcast called How to Stay Married, I think you'd be really interested in couples' Mm. counselling. Is it on uh, Netflix?
1: No, I think it's on BBC iPlayer.
0: And it's really, it's really good because it just remind. It actually made me think about how much better we communicate than we did. Because yeah. sometimes you can just be in your marriage going, oh, I'm just doing this. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm surviving. But actually, yeah, I just thought I'd acknowledge that.
1: Fair enough. We're also doing this in the midst of uh, imminent World War Three. Yeah. It's very hard to escape that subject in anything we record. But can I just stress that by recording something not about it doesn't mean we're not. Dealing with it or thinking no, about and it. Because actually, there seems to be this groundswell of mm, if you complain or talk of anything else, you're being somehow irresponsible. It's just, mm, not, it's just not the case. I've heard a few mm, comments like that.
0: And actually, we will be um, next week actually talking about how we are dealing as a couple with the anxiety. That was the plan for today, actually. Mm. The anxiety of everything that's going on in the, world, in, the, in the world at the moment. I just have to say, more I just have to make a little confession. What? I moved my camera up a bit because I think it, it was a bit low. I noticed. <laughs> it's a little bit of a pain
1: in the edit, but there we go. It's
0: gonna really piss him off. Um <clears throat> so yeah. So as I said, we're gonna talk about anxiety and how we deal with it as a couple next week, or don't deal with it next week, but it is eating disorder awareness week. Right. And it's a subject that's close to my heart and closer to yours I think nowadays and there'll be a lot around about um the more extreme that the words that we know and understand Mm. you know anorexia bulimia horrible horrible um Mm. way to have to live under the the you know the cost of those extremes but there is a broad spectrum eating disorder and we are very much both of us we are in dis- the disordered eating middle. Mm. We have a bizarre relationship with our bodies and with um, eating and food and it's funny because I'm obviously I'm ahead of you in my understanding and I have a lot more peace with my disordered eating and I feel I mean it's every day it's a discussion I have to have with myself. But I have a lot more consciousness of it. A, because I'm seven years older. B, because I'm a woman. So I'm plugged into those sort of conversations much more, I think. C, I'm a loose woman. So if you, if you're listening to this from another country, that's actually a show here in, here in the UK and not, not me actually describing myself. Well, in that it comes up a lot. We have a lot of guests on. We talk about it a lot. So it would be, you know, it, it's obvious that I'm going to be a bit further along with my own understanding of my own disordered eating.
1: Well, do you not think that that's partly because, and maybe this is something to get onto a little bit later, but do you not think that's partly because society is much more steered towards mm. pressurising women?
0: Well, yes, but I also think that it's society is also more geared towards when you're in the firefighting stage of, of directing everything towards mm. women. And actually there is a real increase in, and I have never seen anything written about a man of your age having disordered eating. Mm. I've seen some younger celebrities talking about the bulimia men and anorexia. And I think, and it, that's incredible and really yeah. important, but I've never, ever read or heard a single word about the kind of disordered eating that you have, uh, which is very similar to the disordered eating I have. But yet we've come from very different backgrounds. So why don't we go back to, because there's always been something that has really struck me about what you said about food. And... As Marcus discussed, yeah, I'm going to tell you. As Marcus discussed with us often here, he had a very chaotic, difficult childhood, being brought up by a very young single mum who he now loves very much, but it was very difficult as as a child, wasn't it? And do you remember what you said to me about your first memory of quelling anxiety and what you did?
1: Yeah, what was it? Well, I'll I'll just give it a bit of context first. So, I mean, without bemoaning the fact there was a lot of time which I spent on my own when my mum was in the flat but there was a lot of time that I spent on my own when my mum was out of the flat Um, and I remember vividly one of my almost first memories of food one was that I made a potato salad in home economics and I was so excited to bring it home and my mum didn't eat it and that really upset me because you know, I really wanted to, to eat it, I was really proud of it. <laughs> uh, but the, ne- the, other, the other lasting memory other than sweets and all that kind of stuff was on my own vividly. I mean, obviously I didn't think this is what I was doing then no. I realized after the event. I just remember going into the kitchen with a spoon and eating an entire, you know, like just a pack of butter Oh, yeah. Because my memory of it,
0: which you said, it doesn't matter how you ate it, I suppose. My memory is that you said you sliced it and you kept eating it. No, 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 I just kept spooning it and
1: spooning it and spooning it. Um, Maybe I used enough. I don't know. It doesn't matter.
0: No, it doesn't matter. But it's just, it's just that it just gives such a clear image and a clear understanding of what overeating and the connection to your emotions is. Because so many people still will say, if you struggle with your weight, eat less and move more.
1: Well, I was thinking about this the other day, because um, where I had, sort of in a sense, in inverted commas, good parenting around my grandparents, the narrative always ran that when I arrived at my nan and granddad's, um, my nan was receiving me, as she would say, dark rings around your eyes, emaciated, smelling of damp, um insane ain't. You know, so that sounded like Oliver Twist.
0: And I, was I was gonna a, say we're moving to Oliver Twist. But,
1: but just briefly to say, and then and then what happened, and I think this is something worth talking about, she would gorge me. Feed you up. She would feed, feed me you up. up and yeah. it reminded me there's a is it Hansel <coughs> and Gretel fairy tale? Yeah. I remember reading that and really relating to it the way they were being fed up, being fed, you know, f- you know, fed in order to be luscious and tasty. And my nan. Also, used to say, I love you so much I could eat you. So it was a strange collision <laughs> of fear, food, and uh, departing famine. Because I don't, I literally don't remember any of the food, if any, that my mum made. Fish in a bag, I've said often, ch- uh, cheese on toast. But but, was
0: but it. the interesting thing is, it's a feast or famine. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it was either you were oh, I mean, with your mum, and then you would go to your nan, and your nan, and that would be a comfort, a confused comfort, yeah. but you would there would be some sort of an understanding that you were being cared for, and you're being cared for by being overfed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and where then, I discovered
1: Nutella and chicken crisps, and yeah, it sounds ludicrous to talk specifically about those, but I could eat chicken, I could eat 55 packets of chicken crisps.
0: And also, Nutella, you, it's dangerous. I mean, you look at me oh, with really wide-eyed terror.
1: It really is. I'm pleased you got rid of it the other night. But I mean, I like with alcohol, I can smell and I can know and I can give you a, an exact description of what's in the house. Mm. And, I do, and the weird thing is, I'm not a particular fan of sweet stuff, but it's about, and we're talking about it, I guess, it's about
0: filling emotions, isn't it? Well, so that's that's your childhood, obviously, mm. just a, a brief sketch of it. And of course, mine couldn't be any, m- any more different, could yeah. it? Because I grew up with a mum who was the war baby and so was very, very sensible about food, a fantastic cook. Mm. Um, no disordered eating that I was ever aware of Mm. but a poor self-esteem about the way she looked like you could say she'd look great and she'd say well I'm as fat as I've ever been always to this day she's 88 and I say mum you look so slim and she says why do you think that that do you think that's a help to lie to me so that's that's Mm. but then also so she was a fabulous cook and we got incredible homemade food breakfast lunch and dinner homemade bread homemade butter everything very cared for a stay-at-home mom came home from school you knew your mom was going to be there you know it was a very sort of stable in one way um, uh, childhood but then on the other side of my family my father's side Middle Eastern and my father was incredibly loving Uh, I grew up being completely respected by my dad, loved by my dad, listened to by my dad. Sorry, that makes me cry. Mm. So do look why. Should I just give him <laughs> um, and then a very big extended family, an Arabic family. Which, in many ways, I feel so blessed to have had a very busy, large, you know, family. Big, uh, uh, not we didn't live in a big house, we lived in a terrace house, but it felt big because it was filled with lots of huge characters, and they were people that had made their own lives, they had grown up with little. I mean, my dad grew up with, you know, very little, you know, and there was probably a lot of hunger for their, their parents. And so there's a huge emotional mm. connection to food. And food was the center of every family gathering. It was, we would cook together, beautiful. So lovely feelings of joy and culture. And I, that's how I learned to cook, being around this big family. But there was always an underlying anxiety around food because from a very young age, when I was very active, I used to go to I don't know, six, seven dance classes a week. Um, As I said, we ate very well. I probably didn't have one pound over on my body that I, not one. Now my Arabic family would overfeed like you, oh, we brought chicken and we brought lamb. You're not gonna have chicken and lamb. You're not gonna have bread. It would be like this all the time. But running parallel to that would be be careful. You never get fat. Be Mm. very careful. We are a family that gets fat. Mm. And that was just drip drip by osmosis. Nobody meant anything. Nobody was being evil. All my aunts were fat and some of them were very, very fat. And it was a problem. They were all struggling with their weight all the time. So they were just unaware Mm. of what that, how powerful that Those words can be to a young person. Fast forward to, I then go to stage school, a very, um, rarefied world. Mm. It's not now because that's, being at stage school is what it's like to be at any school now for kids because Mm. of selfies, because of this incredible awareness of the way that you look. Nobody does anything without photographing it. The equivalent of that was being at stage school with mirrors everywhere and lots of very, very skinny dancers. Now I was there to be an actress, Mm. wasn't there to be a Mm. dancer. But, um, I already had disordered thinking about food and then, and I'd already started dieting at about 11, even though I had no extra fat. Um, and I remember I started by only eating apples. So I would just eat, you know, just eat apples and end up binging at the weekend because my family would all bring this amazing food. Um, but, but, but the being at stage called accelerated the feelings of dysmorphia. And I can look back now. I can't believe, and this has been really hard because it's only in the last few years that I can actually say, because I've been in denial all my life. And even now, as I say it, I just think, but no, it is actually because I had a hideous body that I was dysmorphic. Mm. I was, I was dysmorphic. Mm. I mean, I look back and I had a gorgeous body, but I was, I thought my body was so hideous. That nobody could ever see it. That, that's how dysmorphic I was. And yet, I mean, somebody just said to me the other day, oh, you're just so confident. I look at you. You're really, se- oh, it's Linda really Robson. You're just so sexy and you're so confident. I managed because I was a great faker to make it person, because I had this terrible secret that I was so hideous. I just acted out the whole time that I was so confident. Yeah. I, it was really weird. Like I would wear—I remember around the time I would wear these like satiny cat suits out. This is a person that thought she was hideous.
1: But that's a huge aspect of dysmorphia. People often think that dysmorphia is—I mean, we were we were um, researching it yeah, many yeah, years ago, yeah, and were. one of one of the things that people think is dysmorphic is a covering of the body, a hiding away and what it what it's actually about is many people with dysmorphia will amplify one aspect or an aspect of themselves it can be an, an aspect of your personality to overcompensate for what they feel about the rest of their body yeah. so for example you know a lot of girls who perhaps over overshow their cleavage and and you know as a father you're kind of like my god don't do that they're probably doing that because they're actually feeling dysmorphic mm. about the body it's a curious contradiction yeah. so but it's their way yeah, i remember
0: of, you saying that actually when you're researching yeah, that
1: program yeah. it's a way of sort of as i say amplifying an aspect that you're more comfortable with or unfortunately for women simply amplifying sexiness or mm. you know a sort of over availability but a sort of it, that's where it becomes dangerous. I think. Young, well, I think it was very women.
0: confusing for any men around me because I was also incredibly protective mm. of myself because I was very proud and nobody was going to know that I had this dark secret about myself, that I was this monster. But I have
1: to say, when I first met you, when I first met you, I remember thinking, well, obviously you were extraordinarily confident and out there, as was I with the drink in me
0: but i remember
1: similar. but i remember i'm not going to reveal too much but i do remember um, when you're first intimate in a relationship i remember you being particularly cautious about showing your body
0: i'm always cautious about showing no, my no, body I my
1: whole life but i've never i've never come across it quite like that
0: yeah i mean like when when uh, and people can't believe that now when you see me on my instagram but what i did was aversion therapy eventually i did aversion therapy <sighs> What's go- and of course, I'm at my oldest. My body is at its probably most unattractive. No, so not. all the time it's that not. I probably had a beautiful body, I I would I was hidden away because I because I was dysmorphic, because I believed that I was hideous. I've seen
1: more of you on Instagram than I do in the
0: bedroom. <laughs> um, but anyway, so 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 that was all the mess of the way that I felt I looked. So with that comes disordered yeah, eating yeah, yeah. and I think I think there's a real place for this to be talked about mm. and I think it's really unusual that two people are drawn together with such different backgrounds but a very similar mm. fuck up around food.
1: Yes. I mean You know, going back to your story of dysmorphia, and we are going to get to the kind of marital aspect of this. Um, I remember having that similar dysmorphia. I think we've talked about it in one of the vlogs. But my dysmorphia wasn't around whether I ate or I mean, I binge ate. I mean, I remember my mum used to get boxes of crisps from the uh, cash and carry because her partner's parents ran a, a corner shop. And, um, we'd get all these, cris- I'd eat them in a, in two days. Yeah, you are a binge, major I mean, major binge. to 52 packets, I mean, a box.
0: We have really different binge tactics, mm. but we do binge. Mm. I mean, I binge very little these days. A binge for me is like last night I had six rich tea biscuits, you know, biscuits are my weakness. I can't, I keep getting drawn back mm. to that packet of biscuits, but, um, yeah, I, I would describe you as a complete binge eater. You, 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 like, if I'm out all day and you've been working, I know 100% you're not going to have eaten. Mm. Not a thing. Not a thing. It's like, it, and I find that so weird that you haven't thought about food at all. And yet you're a binge eater. But then what will happen is at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, all of that time that you didn't eat is suddenly compacted. And then it's just...
1: But it's not about food. I mean, you know... I'm, I'm well, a, I'm there's only... there's
0: two... No, because I was going to say, no, no, there's no, two but... binges that you do. One is when you starve yourself and you binge because actually you get physically hungry. Mm. But your biggest binge is your emotional... Yeah. And sometimes when I, I'm really like... Because I know how much you're going to hate yourself afterwards and how sad you are. And there'll be days of like, mm. do you think I've put on weight and da-da-da. So that's why I find it frustrating when you binge. But sometimes I'm like... Oh my God! Don't go on at him about it because you don't drink, and you haven't drunk for sixteen years. And sometimes I get mighty pissed because I just
1: sorry, I'm very seventeen. About it. No,
0: no. And sometimes all of us that can drink go out and get pissed because we just want that release from our own head. And mm. sometimes, well, always that to me is you not being able to do that and go to food because and this is getting to the number of what we're talking about here is people have to understand that food deals with emotions for a lot of people only temporarily Mm -hmm. but it is a drug it is the most difficult drug to use because you have to eat because if you don't eat you die you have to fully abstain from drink and drugs because you can't have a bit you have to have everything Mm -hmm. and yet you can't do that with food so sometimes it really breaks my heart because I know the gargantuan effort it takes to be sober in a drink obsessed world and sometimes when I see you binge on something like I tell I mean I know we joke about it but it hurts you when you do those binges because you're filled with this self-loathing and and but it's a direct correlation. Yeah, no, I, I mean, see.
1: it is total self sabotage. I mean, when I was drinking, for all the years I was drinking, drink helped me not eat. Drink allowed me to, in a sense, maintain, when I say a relatively attractive, but you know, I mean, if, if I think through all the years and all the people I met and all the people I worked with and all the girls that I had relationships or flings with, I felt better about my body if I just didn't eat mm. um and I would drink I would and say and we used I, to go out
0: and you'd say should we go to lunch and I'd think I'd be thinking oh yeah food because I was such a food addict and and then it was and about a year till I realized you never ate yeah, but that, you were just drinking yeah
1: and that's why my drinks were always vodka and diet coke because I, I you would, were thinking about the calories I was, yeah and 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 in a sense there was such a huge food aspect to yeah. the way in which I drank so yeah you remove that um, you, you know, and it's actively promoted in rehab. Eat chocolate. Eat, have have so a chocolate. They box. don't do that anymore, you no, know? Exactly.
0: Because, and, and, and this is just a little quick sort of sidebar here, guys. But, well, actually it's not. I think it's a massive part of this. But <clears throat> as lots of you know, Mark went to rehab and sober, da, da, da. And then at the same time that Mark challenged his drinking, I did my eating and I, for a few years, I went to Overeaters Anonymous which is exactly the same program, but it's just with food. And it's just people with very disordered eating and the spectrum is very broad. And it's really interesting. We spoke about this recently in our vlog, how many people would come into Overeats Anonymous that had been to AA, CA, which is cocaine addicts, NA, narcotics addicts, or whatever. And they were sitting there broken in Overeats Anonymous saying, I have spent my whole life Trying to avoid this mm. program mm. because this is where it started for me. And they finally realised that because if you know anything about addiction, you will often cross a dick. So when you gave up alcohol, you you went extreme not eating, didn't you? And vice versa. No. Da, da, da. And they say that most people's addiction it started with food mm. because at a young age they learned to control their feelings, to comfort themselves. Or, or, swallow down their feelings stuff, <coughs> stuff with food feelings. and you know there was some stuff that happened with me as a child that I know that I used food to shut up those feelings and eventually well you either die shutting up your feelings or you get to a point where you go yeah. I've got to look at this shit
1: well, and yeah. I
0: think eventually you will end up going to OA <laughs> 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 and I think and I think it will be fascinating for you, and I think it will be the last step for you. I mean, I think
1: one of the most difficult things about being in a partnership, and I'd say it's less the case now, but it can still happen, is, you know, there's often this thing with drinking and drugging where there's someone in a group, um, it was never me, because I was always the one that would go down or be taken down. There's someone in a group who's a very good facilitator of people with real problems Getting really, in my instance, drug or high, drug uh, drunk or high, and it told them the signalling to them was I'm not as bad as him. Yeah. I thought right, yeah. and I was surrounded by really only people who did that, and so yeah. I became the, the <coughs> fall guy. Well, at least
0: I'm not as bad as Mark. Yeah, exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. Um, and I think on occasions, certainly in the past, but every now and then it still kicks up. If you say oh, let's just throw the caution to the wind in the night and pff, let's just have McDonald's and da, da da And I'll always have two Big Macs, not one. There's a huge, I feel like a permission has been granted mm. to go for it. And that's it. The sort of, you know, the zipper has been unzipped.
0: Just like down the pub. Just like
1: down the pub. Yeah. And I will go further than you yeah and then i want you to stay with me so i'll like i'll I'll go to the corner yeah or i'll go to the corner shop after i need something sweet i need something sweet and that's when the guilt kicks in the guilt kicks in because then at that point i'm on my own Uh. um and you know i think you know one of the other things i do struggle with and, and this isn't a criticism is you and your family and, and I'm saying this from a place of I've made shows about the importance of food to families, so this isn't me not understanding the importance of food culturally, socially, familiarly all that kind of stuff. But your family pivots around food. I mean, like just the other night,
0: we were wanting you off a bit. No, just the other
1: night, <laughs> the discussion about food. No, no, no. But I mean, I could I could sense that. But it it was a caricature of yourself. Yeah, we were wanting But you, you are off. often like that, and so I go silent. Around that. Because I can't talk about food in the same way. It doesn't hold that it lure. It's a functional I thing. I
0: write cookery books. You know, and I mean, no, a lot
1: I mean, of I my I've, career I've is around I mean, you know, yeah. I understand it. <clears> I get it. I understand also mm. when abroad. You know, I like nice food when it's put, you know, it's put, put in front of me. But it's not my first thought.
0: Do I you like it. nice food, though? I feel that your family. Like, it's very difficult. Like, years ago, your mum used to come and used to... In, Sure. I mean, the difference of if my family come round and your family came round always was that actually this is the case for most families. But because you're a family that grew up with trays on your lap, didn't mm. you? You said you never got the table out to eat. A table, no. I find sometimes there's a difficult to have a centre to a, to, um, to a social mm. because people come and it's the same with friends people come or have a drink and or have something to eat and that's that's the center but because it's the way often that people do show that they care there's a lot of care put into thinking about what you're going to cook for people buying the food I think cooking a lot of it.
1: people that don't feel like yeah that at all it's very cultural majority, with us i think the vast majority it, yeah. don't feel
0: like it, i think it's getting a lot better People, um, in, and i think maybe very much in london as well but but yeah i think that's a real huge cultural difference there and sometimes for me if people just come in and you don't just feed them or you don't because in a way it is showing love mm. and that can go extremely the wrong way and get mm. disordered eating but it's also something i would never have gone without yeah. if, if you said to me okay you've had this problem with disordered eating and all the pain and everything that goes on with that would you have taken away the experiences that you had and the connections that you had with food as i would say absolutely not Mm. because there's also a lot of warmth and a lot of care and the the greeks and the italians and spanish all the same
1: yeah but you often say (laughs) oh my god culturally it's a nightmare as well exactly I mean, because, because there's so much bread yeah, and all that I things mean, the are really
0: things are rarely one yeah, thing no, 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 though no. are but, they I mean yeah but I
1: don't I literally don't think about food and the first thing you'll you'll say to me when we haven't been with each other is what have you eaten and in a way maybe I avoid food for so long because I just don't want to engage with it because to I, can't it. With it sensibly, yeah. I can't engage with it sensibly or I can't engage with it in a true. safe way so when you talk about food, it's mag- a magnified thing because it is normal for you to all talk yeah. about the importance of, of an. I'm saying aubergine in food. You know, I recognise yeah. that. I've had you know, I've, I've filmed people having those conversations about the joy of yeah. Italian food. It literally. I think the reason it doesn't interest me is that I'm trying to white-knuckle and hold it at arms length. Mm.
0: Well, the interesting thing is, if you take both of our families, I believe that your mum and your nan had extreme eating disorders. Oh, I mean, be. I've never seen anything. Well, my nan used it. to say the
1: same thing. The Andalese run to fat, Mark. Be careful. And but- then she'd say that, and she'd put three um, hot cross buns and a pile of seven Hovis biscuits ten minutes before I went to bed. That's what she gave me every night, and that's your binge. That's That's what you do now.
0: You binge binge now before you go to bed. Both have eating. I mean, you can't. It's so bizarre the way your family eats, and I don't. And you all starve for hours and hours and hours, and then eat ludicrously ridiculous Mm. unhealthy stuff, and you all look knackered. And you all. (laughs) And so, if for me it's like a massive problem because I'm looking, and I want you to live till you're. 90 and I want you to live well and I want you to be well so I do really worry it's like your mum I've given up saying now you really shouldn't eat a whole pot of ice cream at four o'clock in the morning Mm. it's really bad for you so we understand where all this messed up stuff comes from in our head I think and I think that you know if somebody's listening to this and thinking well this is me but what do we do we fail often, if that's the right word, to, to have more, rumbling. yeah, ah, to yeah. have more ordered eating. But we have found a way for us, haven't we, that actually works a lot of the time. It's the best thing for us. Mm. And um, what I would say is something that I learned from Mark being at rehab is to check with all the different things why you are reaching for food, and it's to say, am I tired? Am I lonely? Am I sad? Am I angry? Because if I'm reaching for something and I'm just gonna put it in my mouth without really being hungry, it's probably because I'm dealing with some sort of, mm, I call it this, mm, that kind of feeling of anxiety that you're not even aware of. When I was younger, I could find myself down a whole loaf of bread and I didn't even know I ate it. Mm. But now I can find myself into five biscuits like I was yesterday and I can go, I can see what I'm doing here. Distract yourself say to yourself actually it's been this is what I did yesterday it's been a really hard 48 hours somebody that's, that I care about very much is going through a really tough time it triggered a lot of feelings for me about something that had happened in my past and I turned to biscuits last night when I came home from work and, and I ate five or six biscuits that I didn't need that was dry as a mm, badger's ass and I was just like I was just stuffing into my mouth because I didn't know what to do with my feelings and then in the end I said to you, actually I feel really flat and I feel sad and I feel this and I feel that and then we watched telly and we, we just We've moved been open. joking
1: recently about the Maltesers and, and, and you know, I, I can't, if I know they're there, <clears throat> I will search them out and I will sabotage my evening. I struggle. What with... happens,
0: do you ever do that thing when you're looking at it going, I, no, I'm going to eat these because off. actually I'm really anxious. You go into a sort of don't.
1: You know, like when a shark goes into bite yeah. and its eyes roll back into its head, I go there and I don't want to yeah. get upset about it. I really don't. But um, Well, no, tell me. No, what? no, no. I just, I really, really struggle at night. I mean, I really struggle in the evenings and I think it's still a hangover from um, being busy, in inverted commas, in a very unproductive and unhealthy way, Uh socializing all the time with drink. Drink allowed me to be a social beast. I'm not a social beast anymore. I'm I'm barely social, and I think I haven't got that social distraction of an evening. So I really struggle, you know, during the day, I can ignore it because I'm busy, I'm working, I'm doing stuff, but in the evenings, when you take away all of those distractions, I am really ill at ease with myself, unless say, for example, I, I throw myself into writing or something or can or, or continue working or doing something or making something or, you know and I just I feel absolutely at sea in that hour before I go to bed, and i don 't know what that is. I literally don't know why that is or, or what it's about, and I can only really think that it's an echo of the fear I felt at night when I was much younger. And it sounds so fucking obvious and some cod psychology that, you know, it's hardwired into me that cod food... Cod
0: psychology is sometimes the very real yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, I think it's just hardwired into me that
1: food, is, food was always either Comfort. a mechanism to cope or an expression of extreme love, which mm. had gone over the top. And that hurts in the evening. It, it really hurts. And so, when you ask, you know, what's going through my head, it's extreme pain.
0: Mm.
1: And an inability to use anything to quieten that pain. So,
0: yeah. <clears throat> but I... You
1: know, so I know I have to do something about it. But hang on,
0: just let's, let's, before we move on to having to do something about it, I think you just put so beautifully and hopefully gave people that don't understand an understanding of how this works and it's not just a case of eat less and move more. It is so complex, the relationship that so many of us have with food. and. It breaks my heart because, and I'm sort of sitting here feeling bad for all the times I've screamed and shouted at you because you've eaten 10 packets of Maltesers, we've eaten all the Nutella or anything. Yeah, but I know you're
1: kind of trying to do it in a light-hearted way most of the
0: time. No, but, I, but it's, it's, I think it's more than that because I think underneath I'm actually screaming at the fact that There is that unhappiness in there and that pain in there. That's because I know it's not the fucking Nutella, it's not the fucking Maltesers. It's that pain. And that, as a person that loves you so much, is what I, what I find the most difficult is just always knowing that you're that unhappy, you know.
1: But I think I think a huge aspect of it as well is is it's a last clutch at safety, you know. And I think it is a huge part of you know. If I look back, it's weird, isn't it? The two extremes that I the two extreme relationships I had with food, Boom, you know, because if you look at a calendar year of me as a child, I would for one of them I'm not literally starved, I don't know, you know, but I would be on a restrictive diet at term time. And then I would be filled with food. So it was binge eating, but spread (coughs) across a year. Um, Everything you
0: said is so important because I'm just praying that there are people who are listening to this, that all their life have just thought that they're just greedy or they're lazy or whatever. And you've just said it with such clarity that it is such a powerful drug to stop the pain in Mm. the minutes you're eating, chewing Mm. and swallowing. Of course, we know that rather like crack cocaine, Mm. for those minutes where you feel okay, you feel okay, but afterwards, it's going to be the worst fucking feeling on the planet because the crash is so bad. The physical effects of overeating are horrible, the numbing out. Mm. The, the exhaustion, then you go to the mental effects of that the self loathing the disgust, the lowering of self esteem that this stuff is serious it 's really, really serious mm. and, and i just I just want people to understand that that 's all the stuff that 's going on behind when you see someone' stuff their face they're not mm. just greedy bastards
1: i used, i mean we 're going to come to the end now, but if I look back, binge eating has always been there i mean if I go out. I will more than often, been, you know, have a chocolate bar before I get back. So it's a kind of crafty drink. It's like a crafty <coughs> drink. Um, when I was with Izzy's mum, there was this strange period where, on the way home, I would buy smoked salmon, oh. and I would honf it in an alleyway. Around a fellow
0: it. binge eater, I'm just going to say I think that's um, a really shit binge. No, binge no, no.
1: <laughs> but I had this compulsion. But the weirdest thing <coughs> was, I'd eat it outside the Sainsbury's, almost hidden, and, and then would worry about, oh, my God, i got smoked on breath as, 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 as I was, was coming out. It's
0: nice. like you wanted to get caught. But I, I mean, it's the strongest smell you could have, apart from cheese and honey. I mean, I remember we did, there were some years where I was like, oh, my God, I cannot believe what I'm finding in this car. Mm. Just packet after packet <laughs> of stuff. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. I would suggest that one day we walk together into an OA meeting. That's yeah, what absolutely. I would suggest. Yeah,
1: and the, the myth is, is that people... I mean, I, there's been OA meetings next to many AA meetings I've been to. And contrary to what people think, you know, the, the title of it, I think, is an issue for it as a fellowship. Yeah. It's very uncool. It's, well, no, it's not just uncool, but mm. I think it, it signals the wrong thing to people because people think... There's judgment in it or the term overeating culturally is just...
0: Is I just wish it was called positive. emotional eating anonymous because yeah, like that's that. actually what yeah, it's about. So I mean. if you're... There's you're, many, many thin yeah. people,
1: you know, too thin people in, in overeaters anonymous. It's not, it's not like, you know, I think people assume as people who are overweight...
0: Yeah. Well, no, it is people that have a problem with emotional eating. Eating. So if your interest has been piqued by this in Overeaters Anonymous, Mm. I think just quickly, I'll just say what it's like. Mm. It's a group. You don't have to speak. Mm. You can just listen. If you go to the group, look for the similarities, not the differences. So you might see somebody, you might be very overweight, and you might see somebody as skinny as skinny, like bone thin, Mm. and you might decide oh i'm going to turn off i'm not going to listen to this person because what on earth would they know i mean you will be amazed Mm. in the similarities of what they what might say around food and 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 they are organizations right across the globe oa is everywhere in every town and city and also it's online so if you want to have a listen and have a go um do and they say give it give it at least six meetings before you make your decision yeah and don't be afraid of the word God because some people go to their first meeting because this is exactly the same for aA or mm-hmm. anything this is the same it's all the same fellowships you, you they get scared because it's they start with a prayer where they say well, God they, yeah they, they well, say
1: God as you know it it's just something and that's what's that important to hear yeah.
0: because when I was going to oA God, as I knew it, was the group. Yeah, that was the thing that was more powerful than myself because I was totally powerless in the way I was mm. eating in those mm. days. It was more powerful than myself, and that's what kept me on, on um. And you're the higher, path. It's a higher
1: power, but it can be a beanie baby. It can be an object. It can be a. It can be things. It can be a space. It can be yeah. anything.
0: And i still use the tools like they're just there when i was saying about those thing what stopped me going into a major binge last night was i stopped and i used the tools of oa Mm -hmm. which were why why how what for and then i just talked about my emotions instead and i didn't carry on eating all night Mm -hmm. um i still use the serenity prayer at the moment i'm using the serenity Prayer four five six times a day Look up the serenity pair if you're you're having trouble with anxiety today. And, you know, and so it can be a very powerful, very powerful thing stepping into one Mm. of those meetings if you feel like nobody anywhere is understanding you. And I've spoken to a lot of people that have come out of eating disorder clinics and and OA has never been mentioned to them. And they've gone and said, oh, it was a really good way because it doesn't cost anything. That's the other thing, they're free. So, Yeah.
1: There you go. There you go. I love you very much and I
0: think you're really brave (laughs) to talk in the way that you did about that because I think it's still so much harder for men to Mm. talk about it than it is for women. It's hard for everybody, but I still think that there's you know, there's there's a lot of taboos still around men talking about all
1: the men I know have known in my life I would never have talked about. I would never It, it just you wouldn't talk about this kind
0: of thing. If I give you a hug, oh no,
1: hey well, there you go, guys. That was a that was highs and lows, and uh, <laughs> helter skelter, and roller coaster, and all those analogies.
0: Yeah, I mean, and like if you were here for marriage, I'd there is nothing as powerful as actually sitting opposite your partner, asking them questions and listening to them. And yeah. I think life is so busy and frantic and scary at the moment that we're probably doing that less than ever. So I actually, even though that was painful and emotional and it's put me in a bit of turmoil, I I'm really uh, glad. Uh, <laughs> I'm really glad we had that conversation.
1: Go (laughs) go away now, I'll see you later.